when you really embrace being a student and you're constantly wanting to learn and you can spark a conversation with anybody about the most basic thing and they feel such pride in being able to teach you and share their experiences it's just a really beautiful thing and I feel like for a few years there I was missing that because I was like I got all the answers I don't need to ask you don't tell me your thing because that's not me and now it's kind of like tell me everything I'll take what I want I'll have my own experience and write my own story everything's with a pinch of salt for sure but it's just such a cool way to kind of move through these journeys towards these goals and it brings people along for the ride because they're just as much part of it because I couldn't do it alone. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ and we're on a mission to create a better world. A world that begins within each of us and ultimately depends on the thoughts we entertain, words we speak, and actions we take in response to life. We will all have incredible highs and quicksand lows, but how we meet those experiences and allow for them to move through us makes the difference in our world. Today, we're thrilled to welcome professional ultra trail runner and Ironman triathlete Lucy Bartholomew to the show. Lucy has talked so openly about the high highs and the low lows of doing what she is called to in this life, and yet she continually persists to, as she says, up-level to a new devil. At age 27, Lucy is already a trail-running veteran with course records, podium finishes, and many lessons learned along the way. Lucy has crossed the finish line at the most significant events in the sport, like the Tarawera Ultramarathon, Western States, and most recently, Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, where she placed 10th. She has also embarked on solo adventures that have taken her to the limit, like the 231-kilometer track along the Larapinta Trail in Australia's Northern Territory. Solomon Running created a fantastic film called Running Out, which documents this incredible feat. But the piece that caught our attention was last year when Lucy crossed the finish line at Ironman Western Australia and qualified for the Ironman World Championship, which takes place in Kona, Hawaii, in just a few weeks. Trail and triathlon, they said it couldn't happen, and now it does all the time. We love the crossover. We love that what we've seen in following Lucy's story, and we're so grateful to have this beam of sunshine with us today. Lucy, welcome to the show. Wow, what a beautiful introduction. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it is quite the um, quite the crossover, and we are seeing it more and more. And 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 we want to dive into all the things triathlon and and what how you're preparing for Kona. But first, you know, this is the year of first. So tell us about uh, UTMB. Like this is pretty epic, and actually. It is the pinnacle race, I believe, in the ultra running world, just like Kona will, is for, for the, the endurance uh, Ironman distance. So, yeah, how did, how did this all, like, play out for you? Yeah, it was, you know, I look back on the, the sequence of events that brought me to where I am now and talk about divine timing. So I was signed up for the Western States, which is kind of like UTMBs, the – the Olympics of ultra running and Western States is kind of the grandfather. It was the first ultra hundred mile event in the U S um, very prestigious, but very limited field. So it's never can never be as competitive as UTMB. And I had come third there back in 2018. And so it's kind of a race that formed my career 
and I was returning in 2022 and I ended up DNFing. And with the DNF came also just a complete disassociation with wanting to do the sport and especially that 100-mile distance. You train for so many months to be prepared for one day and then these, you know, these 100-mile races take 20, 30 hours and so you're hoping that it, you can hold on for 30 hours and that things will go somewhat okay and it didn't. And then, so when I DNF that race, I was kind of like, I don't, I want to do something else. Like, I don't think I'm cut out for this distance. And I've made a name for myself as a hundred K hundred mile. And I just don't know if that's where my love and passion is. And I kind of had been toying with the idea of Ironman during COVID because when the world shut down and Australia became super isolated, I was looking at events locally that I wanted to do and I've done them all. And so I was like, what's something different I could do? And, you know, Ironman was always this one day, someday I'd do it. Maybe when I was retired from the sport and just an old person at the back, just getting it done, maybe with my dad, you know, just something super fun. Um, and so I kind of, brought that idea forward and I spoke to Ironman Oceana. I was really lucky to have a name in, in sport that I could also kind of be associated with them and they helped guide me through it. And so I ended up kind of training the triathlon way for the rest of the year and then completing Bustleton or Ironman Western Australia and went into it and just the whole training and the whole process was so amazing because what it meant was that for two sports, I was a newbie. I was a, a, a student again, and which I love. And that's how I love to live life. Whereas I felt like in ultra running, people kind of expected that I had answers for them and that I had, you know, I'd experienced all the kind of trials and tribulations and that I'd, I was a wise old woman of the sport. And I'm like, dude, I'm 27. I got no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> And so I finished the Ironman and absolutely loved it. Had that day, you know, you only get your first time once. And so everything was new. Every time I, like when I got out of the water, I was like, man, that's like, I've never swum for like that consecutively. And then I was on the bike and I was like, this is my longest cycle ever. And then I got on the run and I was like, you know, I haven't done a road marathon. So I was like, this is my first marathon, you know? And it was just like this real, like, real new light shone into me kind of thing. And then I was kind of looking at what I would do for this year. And I was looking at sub ultra distances or like that 50 K range. And then my dad got into Western States and he was already entered into Tatawira and this is a hundred mile race. And I thought, you know what, I'll take your entry and I just want to run a hundred miles and have a really peaceful experience and kind of like a last hurrah run of the hundred mile distance for a little bit, close the chapter, make it really positive. And I went there and ran with that, that, that was my objective. And, you know, that kind of gratitude and that kind of like big perspective often gives you the best races. So I ended up winning that race and finding that kind of flow that I just hadn't found in running for a really long time. And then with what winning that race, I got uh, offered the spot onto the UTMB, which is a race that, again, was a one-day, someday. It's a big beast. I'm not sure. Like, I was strong enough. I was kind of toing and froing. Um, and then when I lined up the two, so Kona and then UTMB, it's a six-week gap. And I thought, you know, 
I'm at a place now where my body trusts me. My mind is super smart and like really kind of always in my best interest. And I just had this gut instinct that this was the year to do something a little bit different and to have the two pinnacles, like you say, side by side is just such a privilege. And so I'm just going to jump on it while I can and and see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. It's super exciting. Um, so we, we definitely want to dig into Ironman and training and all the things that, that that has lended to you as a runner, but let's dig in a little bit to, uh, to UTMB. You did a great three part right, uh, wrap up on your Instagram and, um, but just tell us some, uh, some things that are just memories maybe that just come through you or, uh, you know, cruxes or, uh, challenges, lessons learned of your experience, whatever comes in, don't, don't think too much about it. We'd love to hear. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I've come away from UTMB realizing that endurance sport is really just problem solving with a little bit of exercise in between. I just felt like I was just constantly dodging bullets at UTMB of, you know, I started the race and it starts at 6 p.m. So it's kind of like an odd time to start a race. Um, And so like nutritionally, I kind of struggled with knowing how to kind of um, approach that. And we went off and you run through town and you get caught in the excitement and you're also trying to not get stampeded. So it was a really fast start. And I remember getting some cramps in my stomach and I was like, oh man, like it's going to be really hard to get that first gel in and to get into that rhythm. I'm going to need to slow down. And I look back and in the moment I was really like annoyed. I was like, of course I have cramps and this is just the beginning but like, instead of that happening to me, it was happening for me. You know, it meant that I slowed down. I like let go of the lead girls and I just kind of like took my food in, walked and just kind of soaked in that evening light before it went into darkness. And then, you know, the night was definitely just a big blur. I'm someone who I have the privilege of a very relaxed lifestyle and sleep is something that I don't, uh, don't let go of easily. So to go through a whole night and see the sun rise, my body definitely was like, um, what was that? And like, you still want to keep going. So kind of, um, navigating that was really challenging. And then one of the things that kind of really derailed my race and is where I kind of like if I was to return to UTMB the biggest uh, I could make up a lot of ground is that I had a weird thing happen with my ankle where I had it checked just the other day here in the US where it looked like the tendons that kind of like uh, attach onto the shin onto the foot uh, were just got really really angry and so they really swelled and I thought I had like broken or fractured my tibia or something like a stress fracture And so I was kind of running and trying to be like smart, but I'm 20 hours in at this point. And I was like, "Ah, you know, do I just finish or is this going to like hurt Kona? And so I battled that for for 10 hours was just kind of like trying to tiptoe around. Is this detrimental or is is my body swollen it and splinted it that it's not going to hurt it? Um, And so it's such a relief to come out the other side now and to have had it looked at and it's totally, it was just, of course, at some point your, your tendons are just like, um, this is 10,000 meters of climbing in the mountains. You know, I'm kind of annoyed. (laughs) And so just respecting that, but you know, there was obviously as always moments of like, can I do this? Do I, how much do I want this? And then when I walked on to the, got into the top 10, 
of course, you know, here I was, my original goals were like top 20 would be amazing. Uh, under 30 hours would be, is my goal. And then once I got a sniff of top 10 and there was a girl 20 minutes behind me, it was just like, here's competitive Lucy comes out. And I was like, just like, let's just do this to the finish line and squeeze out, you know, I've come this far. Let's just see what can happen. And uh, I'm really proud of myself because I don't think I've had that that mongrel and that grit in me in in racing for a little bit. I've kind of been very conservative and protective of like, I don't really want to hurt right now, but it was cool to kind of like go to the well and, and experience that again. Cause that's where you learn so much about yourself. How did you rationalize that moment when your ankle was showing you signs of, of something? And did you have to like, let go of what would happen in Kona? Were you like, I'm okay with whatever happens. And like, how did you rationalize that? How did you keep moving forward? Yeah, definitely. So it was a real kind of, I was lucky that I actually texted my coach uh, while I was out there and I said, Hey, he was there in France. And I said, I've got this real pain. Um, and it's kind of like, it's, it, it was a tightness. It was an ache and it's just, it's progressing. But then it got to a certain point where it wasn't progressing. And we made the decision of, are you willing to pay the price? that could possibly be worst case scenario that this is the end of your season. And in my mind, you know, I UTMB is I'm a professional ultra trail runner. I'm not a professional triathlete. And so of course that's where most of my cookies laid for that day. And I wanted to race UTMB as if I didn't have Kona and I want to race Kona like I never did UTMB. Um, and so we kind of made a, a, a concept, like a decision together. Obviously, he was a lot fresh-minded and kind of looked and assessed it for me. But it was definitely a really challenging thing because our brains will just forecast, you know. And I was, you, you spiral so easily when you're tired and you're hungry and you're under stress. And so in my mind, I was like, I'm on a broken leg and this is wild and I'm never going to run again. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of like once I crossed that finish line and we went the body's ability to process and to recover and repair, I mean, I'm, it's just phenomenal. And it's so cool to be coming out the other side and to be like, I didn't do anything. I was, I, my gut instinct was right. It wasn't, so, it wasn't as bad as what my mind was telling me, but my heart knew that I wasn't, I'm not someone that's going to push myself the point of, of breaking um, and ruin a very short kind of stint of feeling good again back in the sport. How about when you find out you've got 11th place, you know, 20 minutes behind you and you're in top 10, um, people may look at you and go, oh, well, you know, she's like top 10 owning it or whatever. But was there ever that part of the mind that was like, well, 11th isn't bad. Like if I, do, if I, do, or were you like <laughs> focus, you know, that overrode everything. No, it's like you're in my head in that moment because <laughs> I was totally like, you know what? 11th is fine. Like, <laughs> you want a top 20, you're nine spots safe on that. Don't worry. And then I would ebb and flow to like, no, Lucy, you've worked this hard. Hold on to it. Like, come on, you've got this. And I was like, I can't run downhill on this foot. She's going to be definitely jogging downhill. So she's going to make up this 20 minutes on that final eight kilometer descent. And I was just ebbing and flowing and it took my crew and, you know, uh, my sponsor Solomon came out to find me because obviously this was kind of like the closest battle that was still going on in the race. Um, and yeah, it, they were just kind of like, no, 
Lucy, you're not letting this go. Like, do not let your mind tell you that 11th, I mean, 11th is great, but like you're in 10th, hold on to that. And, you know, even if you try your hardest to hold on to it and you get past, I mean, mad respect to that woman behind me because we were both battling, we were both hurting. And um, yeah, it was pretty cool and a pretty surreal experience to, uh, yeah, just like I said, to find that kind of like grit and want to, and the pri- pay the price of pushing that last to the last finish line. Yeah, and I think as athletes, like I mean, that's kind of that. That's some of the best part of us, you know. When we're, it's just so gritty, and so much of you just wants it all to end. But then there's like a bigger part that loves it all and loves that competition and and that hunt, um, and crossing the finish line. So like crossing the finish lines. And you're on the other side in 11th, right? And you remember that thought of like, well, 11th is fine. Like, where does the mind go then? <laughs> totally. And it's like, it's like, I, you know, top 10 goes on the stage the next day. And I was in no state to be standing on a stage. Like I was hurting to the point where I felt incredibly rude. But during Courtney, who won the race's speech, I had to sit down on the side of the stage because I was just getting real lightheaded and stuff. But standing up there and looking at it, looking out and just being like, you know, I gave my soul out there to be standing here. And I respect and admire the ones in front of me, the ones behind me and the ones that were still crossing the finish line 45 hours later, you know, it's just like the human spirit and what, what is, what we can achieve is like unreal. And to get to that point, like you say, that that grittiness, you have to go through such a process to get there. And then it's such a privilege to be there, even though it sucks sometimes and it's, but it's where you learn, you know, what your capacity is. And I, what I've learned in like 12 years of doing this sport is that every time you think you've reached your capacity, you've got another level, you've got another gear, there's another tool in the toolbox that you can, uh, you can use. And so it's a really cool uh, enlightening experience. Is there, I'm it's so good. Do, do you, cause we always have another level. We always have a little bit more. We don't think we do. I just had this conversation with someone. Do you, <laughs> we don't <laughs> really think passionate. we do. Yeah. We, we don't think we have enough. <laughs> we think we've given it all. Does that add a little bit of pressure though? Internal, maybe internal pressure that the next time you're out there, you kind of feel like you owe it to yourself to, to actually, to go that little tiny bit more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, when you're, when you care so much and you're willing to put so much on the line and that's your health, like, let's be honest, running a hundred miles, running for 27 hours is not a healthy way to perform the sport of running, you know, and you pay the price, you spend your cookies going to do that. And it's kind of like, you've really got to want it and you've got to be willing. And I think that before, like in the few years that I was struggling, my mind just wouldn't go there and the well was completely closed. I wasn't going to dig into the pain cave. My my spirit emotionally, physically, mentally just wasn't going to do it. And so to kind of like tap on the pain cave's door and to be let in this race was just mm-hmm. like such an honor and such a cool experience. But having said that, like, you know, I was writing an article for someone about doing Kono and I did, I think that like whether I am let back in during that race so soon will probably be the most interesting thing for me. Um, just to kind of see if that's something that, yeah, whether the, there's a 10 pass card and I've used nine. 
Um, Tell us about, do you use mantra when you're racing? Did you have a mantra during UTMB? Yeah, so I had three words that I kind of repeated to myself and they were calm, confident and curious. And so, you know, I was very calm leading into the race because I had very little expectations on myself. I had those two goals that I shared with you, but I also was just, it was so not my plan for this year. And I was also very much not in the kind of like possibly top 10 athletes. I just haven't raced well internationally or raced internationally to be on people's radar. And then, but I was very confident in my training and in where my head was at and where my body and spirit and like was willing to go. And then the curiosity is kind of like, I always say to the athletes that I coach, if you just lead through a race with curiosity of like, I wonder what's around this bend. I wonder what happens after this, this really high moment. I wonder how long this low is going to last for. It's kind of like an exciting way to kind of move your way through it rather than like fearfulness or anxiety. Um, yeah. So it's just kind of, those are my three words and they're the same words that will come with me to, to Kona is just be calm in the experience, confident in who I am and curious about what this, uh, what Kona is all about. When do you, uh, well, I don't want to get too far into Kona. So where, so you're based now, you're in Boulder, aren't you? Like, yeah. So you're at elevation. You're getting some, you're getting, have you been to Boulder before? Yes. It's one of my favorite places. (laughs) So you can feel, you can feel the vibe there of how the, the abundance of greatness that is literally at the supermarket. When you go to Whole Foods on Pearl Street, you're like, boom, there's somebody there. Um, I went for a run this morning on South Boulder Creek path. And I mean, it's one thing, but everyone looks like there's super, super fit and they're all professional athletes. But, um, the, one of the coolest things is that I was looking at like places to ride because that's not what I know of this place. And I was looking at like Gwen Jordanson and like all, all these like Flora Duffy's it Strava's. And I was like, I, you just totally forget, you know, that this, this is a home and this is a Mecca of, um, so many sports. But, uh, yeah, I just, I thought it was super funny. I was like, yeah, okay. So their loop took them two hours. I'll just add an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> it is a big playground. We, we lived there for 10 years, actually in South Boulder. So we ran that South Boulder Creek trail so many times, so many times. Have you, have you ridden like along 36 out the lions or, um, up into left hand? Yeah. 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 If you have any suggestions, please send them through because I find it, I'm yeah, just a very unnerving. It's the cycling side of things just with the roads and stuff. So if you have routes that you recommend, please send. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. maybe and he, and you, you've done Kona. So maybe some routes that would be helpful for Kona training. <laughs> Absolutely. We can definitely, <laughs> definitely share that. Um, how's the body feeling now after UTMB? Like what's the recovery, um, look like you feel hundred percent. Where, where are you at? So I would say, you know, immediately after I was very concerned about my ankle and it wasn't until that got checked off by the doctor, which was only a couple of days ago, I kind of had this, like, you know, you just never know unless you know. Um, and I was 
if people were like, oh, sometimes it's better to be blissfully unaware about things. And I was like, yeah, I'm not one of those people. Like I just want a scan and to see this whole thing um, and just to be assured. And so since then I've been like really catching up on the sleep that I've been missing. Um, but I would say I feel, you know, I haven't really been, I've trained running up to 75 minutes and I've ridden up to three hours. Um, and I feel pretty good. I feel like there's definitely like a, lethargic feeling um and I cannot stop eating it's insane and it's costing Mm. a bomb in Boulder (laughs) but (laughs) um you know I feel really kind of really happy with I think that the ankle was perfect in terms of it stopped me running and getting back too quickly which has always been my fault um with these races is that I'm just so used to getting up and running that I want to do that as quickly as possible. And I think that the ankle stopped me doing that for a week. Then the coolest thing is that I had swimming and cycling, which are the two sports that need um, attention. And I could use them as my form of movement and I can call it training. It's not just me um, cross training and then bringing running in. Now I'm kind of like, I can really gauge how I'm feeling and, yeah, I feel really good. Like I feel really mentally happy. I feel very, it's always nice after a good race, you know, you can really rest on that. And I always think if it hadn't gone well, how would I be feeling Would the motivation still be there? And so it's just, it's really nice to be able to rest on a good race and understand that I feel a little bit like a sack of potatoes at the moment, but I have run a hundred miles in the mountains I think I can do Kona um, as long as I'm playing it smart for the next few weeks. Yeah, I think Kona is going to be take a lot of. Um, well, you're at elevation. Do you, are you normally at elevation? No, no, I live on no. the coast. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so how is that? How, is that treating you? Are you? Do you feel any fog? Because I know a lot of people have that kind of uh, foggy fogginess upstairs. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell if it was UTMB, my oh, yeah. down at fitness or the altitude at this point, you know, it could be one of the three, um, but we're going to go do a higher, alt- like a um, run up at Ned on a high mm-hmm. lungs run loop uh, tomorrow. And I think that I'll feel the altitude then. Um, that's like a 15 mile run. And that'll be kind of like the furthest that I'll um, have pushed myself for a little bit. So it'd be nice to yeah, to kind of distinguish what is really feeling, uh, yeah, that fogginess or just heavy legs. So leading into UTMB, knowing that was like, you know, that was the A race there. And now you're kind of moving into this second, so to speak, A race. Was the swimming and the biking, like not just complimentary during that time for UTMB? Was it also a part of building strength, keeping mobility, um, as a part, very much as a critical part to the running as well? Yeah. I feel like, you know, all the answers to my questions. You're just, (laughs) (laughs) no, yeah, you're totally right. So when I started, when I trained for Bustleton, uh, Ironman WA, what I realized is that training for the Ironman and training for ultra is the hours are very similar, um, a little bit more, but you have two sports that are low impact and what my body, I think my body just really appreciated that so many hours of it wasn't pounding into my knees and my joints and just like what running does. And I really found that I was just as good a runner, if not better from cycling and swimming, mainly cycling, 
Um, and what it also did is it helped protect my love for running. I love running so much that I will outrun my love of running. And that's dangerous to do before a race where you really want to love it because you're out there a long time. And so what I did is that I, uh, when I was doing UTMB training, I was using the bike in the mountains of Europe. So I was climbing up and doing big days on the saddle. I was swimming more for swimming for me is like a meditation. It's quiet. No one can talk to me. I'm not on my phone and it just stretches my body. Um, I'm not doing it fast. I'm just doing it. And then I was mainly running, you know, using my poles and hiking uphill and then just hitting my quads on the downhill and trying to replicate that because it's the only thing that the bike couldn't couldn't do for me. So I kind of trained like a triathlete towards UTMB. And, you know, I will admit that I'm a very nervous cyclist. I don't know the bike machine super well. And so if things go wrong, I get very anxious and the cars on the road and the state of some of the roads. And it's just a very, it's not meditative or chill for me at this point. And so, you know, when I stood on the start line of UTMB, I was just, I know how to navigate this thing. Like I know how to run. If I roll my ankle, I know what to do. I know how to throw up and run at the same time. Like (laughs) I got these skills down pat. So I feel like it was just such a great way to come to UTMB with such gratitude for the sport of running and do what I know how to do best. Um, Having said that now I kind of want to shift and, and find that kind of flow on the bike because, you know, you don't want to be anxious for six hours out at Kona. It's not a fun way to race. No, it's not fun to be anxious for even any of your training mm-hmm. rides, right? So this uh, this mantra, you have these three words, this calmness. Uh, how could you apply that to your current experience and learning that you're having on the bike? Yeah, and it's, you know, you get calmness and confidence through repeatedly getting yourself out there. And so the coolest thing about being in Boulder is you're never short of a training partner. And I find a lot of confidence and I can learn a lot by being with people. And so just tapping into group rides and just kind of, uh, putting myself out there and slowly bringing myself to put myself in positions where I'll change a flat tire, where I'll learn how to do something. And it's, uh, that's the beautiful part of the sport is that people want to help you. You know, I've had people reach out and want to go for rides with me and just kind of teach me what they know. And, um, I think that's what I really loved about, the two sports that I've got to tap into two communities, uh, which are just more of the same, just awesome legends who uh, just love the world of sport. And then you've got this, um, you've mentioned it before, this beginner's mindset. So this, and even though just now you just asked like, you know, if I know of any routes out there that are available. So you've always, you don't feel like you know it all. And I think that's a really, um, it's a really good concept to grasp when you always have this, I guess, back to your mantra word or curiosity, like you don't know enough to know everything and what can you pull away from each situation? There's sort of like a humbling, uh, a sense there. So is that something you had to learn or is that something that just like growing up, you, it's just where you were always wanting to, to, to be fresh in the mind? I think it's, I think in the sport of running, there was a point where my trajectory was just on the upwards and I just couldn't, it didn't, I couldn't lose. It just felt like, and I feel like my, where that started to go downhill 
was just life tapping me on the shoulder and being like, you think you have this figured out? You do not have this figured out. You know, we can always throw you something more. And so kind of realizing that and realizing that when you think you know it, you have no idea about it. And, um, you know, the other day my tire went flat and I took my wheel into the bike store in Boulder and I said, Hey, like this has gone flat. Um, I have a tire in my thing. He goes, you mean you have a tube? And I was like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Like this is how little I know about band. And he was just, he was laughing. He was like, wow. You know, he's like, you know, the people with some of the nicest bikes have the littlest idea. And I was like, man, I am all gear. No idea. Like, let me tell you. And it's just, I think when you really embrace being a learn, like a, a student and you're constantly wanting to learn and you can spark a conversation with anybody about the most basic thing and they feel such pride in being able to teach you and share their experiences. It's just a really beautiful thing. And I feel like for a few years there, I was missing that because I was like, I got all the answers. I don't need to ask you. Don't tell me your thing because that's not my, that's not me. And now it's kind of like, tell me everything. I'll take what I want. I'll have my own experience and write my own story. Um, everything's with a pinch of salt for sure. Um, but it's just such a cool way to kind of move through these journeys towards these goals. Um, and it brings people along for the ride because they're just as much part of it because I couldn't do it alone. What was your uh, awareness or perspective of Kona before you, you know, became somebody who's going there? So it's always been something that my dad and I have watched on TV. Um, you know, it's the one Ironman event that really got onto like Australian news. And um, I definitely followed along. Um, and then, you know, when I signed up for this Ironman, obviously it was this elusive thing that no one really mentioned to me until a few days before. And I was kind of like, no, no, no. Like, this is just one and done. Tick it <laughs> off. Like, I don't, I'm not you know, I'm not going to be, uh, that's not going to be a possibility. And then like the day before I was like, you know, I might just like transfer a little bit of money into my bank account, make sure I have my credit card with me at the roll down. And just like, you know, just maybe I just want to be prepared. Um, and so, you know, it's just so crazy that, uh, I get to experience it. And my dad is just losing his mind that this is something that I get to be a part of. And, especially with it being an all-female island year, I just feel like it's just iconic. Um, and I'm just super, super grateful for the opportunity. Who's uh, who's going over there with you? Family? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody? <laughs> <laughs> he's really stoked, but he's also like, I'll cheer for me. Like he, he watched UTMB from the couch eating croissants with my brother. <laughs> and he's like, I'll sit on the couch having an acai bowl, cheering for you for Kona. <laughs> <laughs> I said to him, like the best way he can support me is to look after my dog and be ready for when I come home. So that's all he's got to do. Well, he's going to be um, drooling over your acai bowl on, uh, in Kona because we're going to tell you where the best ones are. Oh, perfect. That's the, <laughs> that's the kind of intel I need, okay? I need yes. riding roots in Boulder and acai bowls in Kona, okay? <laughs> yep. Yeah, get ready. Uh, we'll get you hooked up with that one for sure before we hang up today. Uh, what are you looking forward to the most about your experience in Kona? Oh, I think just experiencing it, you know, it seems like such a circus and it's just like UTMB, you know, 
it's mayhem, it's energy giving and energy sucking. And it's just kind of like being like, I found Ironman Western Australia quite like overwhelming just because there's so much kit. You have your bike, you've got to like transition, check everything, whatever. It's just a lot of process. And so to see that on a scale that's so big um, is just, it's going to be wild. And I'm just so excited to be a part of that and to watch it and to get to soak it in. Um, but I'm really looking forward to, of course, the marathon. I feel like running along um, that coastline and on those roads that you hear all about. Um, I know it's hot. I know it's humid. But like, I just think that at, when you're at the marathon point, it's just the most incredible gratitude that I'll have survived the other two things. So. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, energy giving and energy sucking, uh, what are your expectations of the energy lab, the natural energy lab that you run into? I've heard all about it and I am very, I have high expectations. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're, you're, um, it's going to be tough to not want to get to that run soon enough. Like I think for you, like really soaking up that swim, the swim is just breathtaking. Like you get so caught up in the blue water and then the bike, you know, getting out to hobby and, and, and on these desolate roads. But I think, I think you'll be really fired up when you get off that bike and you just have a marathon to run coming from that running background. So holding yourself back um, to that pivotal moment and then watch it unleash. Do you feel you haven't done an open road marathon, correct? Well, Bustleton. Oh, Bustleton. That's right. So, yeah. Okay. So you have, yeah, you've got a piece. This is just going to be a little bit hotter maybe and more humid. That's all. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Well, I think like the biggest, like when I reflect on Bustleton, my, my biggest learning curve was um, I didn't realize how hungry I was going to get on the bike. I have never... So in one of my training rides, I think because I was more nervous, I wasn't eating as probably as much. And then I was more confident in the race because there are no cars and it was just, it was quite a mm. cool course. And I didn't realize that I would get so hungry. And so when I got onto the run, I definitely felt like that was my room for improvement. If I set myself up better to eat while riding, to then have the fuel to really send it in the marathon. Having said that, you know, I, I think I did the marathon at Bustleton in three 15 maybe. Um, and so I think that like just that nutritional change would just allow me, but then it's like part and parcel because I expect to be able to ride a little bit faster because I've had a little bit more training, but then does that drain the legs a little bit more, you know? So I'm like, it's a, it's a cool thing, but I think, um, you know, when I wrap that bike, I think it'll be just like Bustleton where I'll just be like, thank goodness. I don't need that again. I will just uh, be on my merry way for my run. <laughs> does, um, does speaking of nutrition, does nutrition shift at all? Like from your, uh, you know, what you're taking in during UTMP, not so much as like amount of calories, but types of foods. Are you eating more whole foods? Like, chewing uh on the trail less of that during triathlon how does it shift for you yeah exactly that um so i mean at utmb you start in france and halfway points in italy and i actually had asked my crew to have a pizza there because i would have <laughs> slices of pizza and i won't be doing that in the iron man unfortunately but um yeah i think for you know it like in terms of the quantity and how many grams of carbs and using gels, it's all the same. It doesn't really shift. 
on the bike, I'll use bars just because I really found myself getting hungry and I think I could eat something pretty solid there. But then at the same time, like with the heat of Kona, um, I will use more liquid calories as well um, just because it's easier to get down. When I raced Western States, it got up to like 105 degrees. It was pretty hot that that year. Um, and that's the best way that it worked for me was electrolytes and calories in my, in my bottles. All right. Are we, are we good with Kona and UTMB? I want to Yeah. We're just going to have to wait and see that you finish Kona and, and hear all about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's super just excited so, for yeah, you. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. You, you are really blessed to have these two experiences, um, within a lifetime, within a year. A season. Yeah, yeah. Within a Six few months. Six weeks apart. Uh, I want to talk about another epic experience crewing for your dad at Western States. <laughs> yeah. To be on the other side of of the, you know, to be in the service role of um, of being there for him. And, yeah, tell us about that experience. Yeah, I mean, Western States is like a huge, was a huge part of our family. It was kind of like something that we'd, we'd watched Unbreakable, which is a film about Western States. I uh, heard all about it. When I got in and ran for the first time in 2018, I got my third place. It kind of skyrocketed me to a full-time professional athlete contract with Solomon and really made that, solidified my name in the sport. I then returned in 2019 and had just a terrible race. I tried to replicate the first year's race. It's just never going to happen. So I learned the hard lesson there Um, and then returned for my third time. That was the DNF. So I was super excited to return on the other side. I didn't feel the want or the need to be racing. I was so content to be there for my dad, who's been trying to get into the race for 10 years. And so, uh, you know, it was an incredible experience, but it was the most emotionally draining uh, day, night of my life. Uh, To see him kind of, I paced him from 8 p.m. to 3 a.m. from... um, or for about 35 miles and we got like an hour and a half in front of cutoff and I was like sweet I'm gonna hand him off this is just gonna be like a really beautiful story he's gonna do it like happy days and then I got dropped him off he handed over to another pacer and uh, I went home got a text to say they'd gone off course they've lost an hour and so they were then half an hour in front of cutoff and my dad, just like me, we are one of the same, was like, I got to run harder to try and make up that time that I've lost. And in doing so, he was obviously starting to like falter in nutrition. He fell, he uh, spasmed his back. And so he then started to lose time. And so it was very kind of close to cut off for a very long time and incredible that he was able to keep putting one foot in front of the other. He was out there with someone who was pacing him and that he didn't really know super well. So he was very vulnerable um, and, you know, just so incredible because he's someone who holds his cards pretty close to his chest, but you can't hide when you're running at 90 degrees um, and just in a lot of pain. Um And so he, yeah, ultimately finished two minutes over the cutoff time as he was rounding the track to come in. We heard the horn to say 30 hours. And I remember him like looking up from his bent over state and just seeing the clock. And I was like, but you're not stopping here, man. Like you're going to cross that finish line. I don't care. Buckle or not, you've made it to the end of Western States. So it was a pretty 
yeah, emotionally draining time. And especially because we had like so many people knew what he was doing. They knew me through the sport. There was just a lot of eyes on him. And I felt like it was a very private experience that he had to go through very publicly. Um, And Solomon has actually made a film on it. So there is a film coming out in November and I just watched the, it's a 30 minutes uh, before UTMB. And I was like, I don't know if I should have watched that because I am incredibly drained just from the emotional <laughs> having to relive that. Um, but, you know, incredible experience. And like, you know, my dad, he's recovered. He still loves running. The sun rose again the next day. He realized that, you know, maybe he doesn't have a buckle to wear on his pants, but like, He's got this experience and this memory and he brought together my family, my two brothers. We haven't been together in 10 years. And so there were so many other amazing moments within it that it was kind of worth the price for him, which is, you know, a beautiful place to come to and something that not everyone would come to uh, when they have an experience like that. So for a man who keeps his cards pretty close to his heart and then actually having a movie made like during the most vulnerable moments of his life, would you say perhaps maybe that was all for him as well? Totally. And I think, you know, he hasn't seen the film yet. (laughs) (laughs) He might never. (laughs) I might not. I think, you know, he looks pretty rough when he finished. And that's like the hardest thing for me was like, it kind of felt like I was looking into the future of my dad's aging. Um, you know, it was just like very traumatic. And so I think he like has an embarrassment linked to it. Like he feels like, Oh, I just, I look so terrible. And so, you know, whatever. And I was like, you know, even like, it's just, that's so irrelevant. Like people aren't even looking at that. They're looking at that. You're at the end of the finish line. You sat on a chair and you smiled like you, you still went to the finish line, even when you knew that you were going to be over the time limit, you know? And I think the cool thing is, is that the movie really, I mean, we had to refilm my interview back at UTMB because you could not understand a word I said, because I was sobbing <laughs> the whole interview after day after. He was like, yeah, Lucy, we tried to just like put captions, but we just could not make out what you were saying. (laughs) And so obviously in hindsight now, like a little bit more time to reflect, Um, you know, there's so so many beautiful lessons and like the connection that me and my dad had was strong and now it's just unbreakable. Um, But the funniest story to come out of it is that before I left for Europe, I said to dad, we've got to just bookend this experience. Let's get tattoos. Like we didn't get a buckle. Let's get a tattoo. And I was like, let's get the elevation profile and I'll get it. You get it. It'd be super cute. And so I got it on the side of my arm here and my dad got it along his wrist. And then I was sitting on the plane to Europe and I was like, man, this doesn't look right. Like I know Western States really well. And I was looking at it and I was like, this just doesn't, doesn't quite make sense. And I looked at the photo that I sent to the tattooist and it turns out that this is the back 50 miles of Western State. We're missing 50 miles. But what we have tattooed on us is the part where he fell to shit. And we, we, I was like, I am a terrible daughter. Do I tell him or do I just like, he can make sense. He thinks it's Western States. But People at UTMB, like people who know the race, was like, that's not right. And I was like, no, no, it's not. um, (laughs) But there were so many times in UTMB, and it'll be the same when I'm in that TT position on the bike. Like I look at that and I was like, if my dad can do 50 miles in the state that he was in, 
that I can damn well run UTMB and I can finish Kona. So it's a pretty, a pretty funny story. I do need to like, he's going to complete his tattoo. We're going to add to his, um, but it's a very funny end to the story that, uh, yeah, just keeps on giving. It seems. (laughs) (laughs) Um, is, does he ever have dreams of doing triathlon and Kona and any of that? Yeah. He, Oh Yeah. Yeah, he kind of, it's funny, like when I did the Lara Pinta Trail, that was kind of like, he's the one who kind of put that in my like radar. He was like, you know, I've always wanted to do this seven day, uh, 14 day hike, but do it at once. And then I was like, I'm going to do it. And then he's like, oh, you know, I always wanted to do an Ironman. I was like, I'm going to do it. And he's like, can you stop? (laughs) 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 So he's got plans and dreams and like, Initially, he was going to do Bustleton with me at one point because he was just kind of uh, same thing. But then he got into Western States, so it was kind of back onto the running game. Um, but I, I can see him getting involved maybe next year, and I'll I'll share all I know at that point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about food. Are you are you mostly plant based? Are you fully, do you do you eat a fully plant based diet? What's your nutrition like day to day? Yeah, I'm, you know, I would call myself plant-based 99% of the time with my traveling and sometimes the positions I end up in, um, you know, I can't be too specific and I'm very intuitive now. One of the things that I learned through going through some hard years of running and training and, and just existing, um, was that I was just putting myself in too many boxes. I was the runner, I was the vegan, I was this, you know, and I was just, trying to fulfill them all and didn't want to be judged, but of course you get judged. And so it was just kind of like such a challenge to try and appease everybody and stick into these, into the rules to fit into these boxes. And so, you know, I've definitely kind of released, you know, I can control what I can control. And when I have my choice and my situation and I, where I spend my money is always going to be on plant-based um but you know sometimes there is nothing else and I'm not gonna go hungry and I'm not gonna deprive my body of nutrients and looking after itself because sometimes that's the biggest act of self-love is just kind of like accepting and not stressing on it um so that's kind of where I'm at now yeah I think when we put those hard lines on it, it does it puts you in a box and then and then we start working with like we feel like we're doing the wrong thing or then we start looking at, you know, and feeling guilt, you know, about the choices we, we made or, and all of that is poison. Well, I just think, you know, I, if you were doing plant-based for, for health reasons, the stress around food that you are putting upon yourself is so unhealthy that it's gonna, yeah, you, that lettuce is going to be completely nullified by the fact that you're sweaty palmed about whether that's, got you know like where that's been or what it's been through and so I kind of felt like that was how I was like I was so nervous around like is there going to be something I can eat like and now it's kind of like there's always something you know and if you're open and you're flexible and you communicate and you set yourself up um you know usually you're not a pain in the ass to most people but um yeah it's definitely been something that took a bit of uh accepting and honoring and just realizing that I can do my best and that's all I can do. Yeah. And as a coach too, now you're coaching, you know, you're coaching athletes and you're probably coaching them through nutritional uh, challenges as well. No. 
No, yeah. I, um, <laughs> I coach young female runners that want to get into trail running. And really I, I started coaching in COVID cause I got really bored and I was like, what am I going to do with all these spare hours in my day? Um, and my thing was, was like, I can help these girls form a really good relationship with their bodies and healthily introduce them to running and whatever. But I'm very firm on like anything about nutrition. I can, I can give you experiences. I can give you some like articles mm-hmm. and stuff, but when it gets to the nitty gritty, I'm like, I'm outsourcing that man. And it's just like, you know, running and mental health and that kind of uh, body image and eating disorders, you know, they do coexist. And so it's like, I'm not a professional. I'm not educated in this. I have my experiences that I can draw upon, but I'm very kind of aware of how a coach that sometimes said something in the wrong way or says the wrong thing. I've been that person that's taken that on and then run with it. And so I'm just very kind of we'll openly have a conversation and then I'll just connect them with a nutritionist that I know. And I'm happy to facilitate that conversation, but I have no answers in that category. (laughs) Eat enough, always eat, not enough, never. That's all I say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have, you also have a beautiful resource though, your cookbook. And I love the title of it. If you look at it quickly, it says sustainability, but actually it says sustain your ability and it's beautifully done. But what are some of your favorite recipes that are in there? Oh man, I think my favorite for sure is the banana bread. I could exist off banana bread. Um, I love making, when I run camps in Australia, I always make the dal from the cookbook. It's very simple. And I love that the leftover dal can be turned into like lentil falafels. So it's a very zero waste recipe and you can kind of, I always mass make it. And then by day two, I'm over dal and the texture of it. And so (laughs) like roll it into balls and put it in the oven just feels like a totally different meal. Um, So I'd say that those two are my like my definitely my go to favorites. Mm. What about dessert? Like what do you after UTMB or something really big? Like what is your go to? Like I need I'm craving this so much. Oh, it's definitely just a good gelato or like, you know, mm. I was in France, so I was just lining up with everyone else at the the gelaterias. And um, yeah, I think that's probably, I mean, after UTMB, my appetite was terrible, um, but it was definitely just a, a pizza and a gelato that I finished with. Yeah. <laughs> at like 1am. It was ridiculous. <laughs> have you, um, you know, Heather Jackson, are you familiar with Heather Jackson? So it's so funny because yeah. I wrote to her and I was like, you're doing Western. And she's like, you're doing Kona. And I was like, <laughs> we, we got to cross paths, man. <laughs> and so she actually offered me to use her bike, but she's tiny. And so, so small. So small. But um, I actually, she commented on my most recent post and I said, when we cross paths in person, it's going to be fireworks because uh, I've just followed her. I love her. And she kind of resonated a lot with, I was talking about DNF in Western States and how it actually set me up for where I am now and how UTMB went and how I, how I measure success now. And especially with UTM, uh, with Kona and stuff. And, um, and she resonated a lot with that. So it's cool to cross to know her, but I can't wait to meet her. I can't believe you guys didn't meet. Well, I mean, there's thousands of people there, but she (laughs) was, she did the CCC before UTMB. OCC. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm sure, I think she was there with Hoka and I'm sure her time was very, uh, taken. 
Yeah. And I kind of, I was avoiding town because I just heard of viruses that were going around. So I was very much in my bedroom, just uh, staying clear of everything. So I didn't really get to be part, partake in the circus all that much this year. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, you're right about Kona. It is a, it's a total circus. It's such a show. It's fun to be in it, though. It's yeah, fun to be in it, show. but then to step away and kind of do your do your own thing and then dip your toes in it. And, but you can definitely feel the energy there. Um, and the reason I brought up Heather, too, is just back to your point about putting yourself in a box or like, you know, she was Kona, she was an Ironman triathlete and you were an, you know, ultra runner, but the two can play together in, in, in the sport. And I love that. And I think it's not only inspired our community here that listens to this, cause we're constantly presenting situations where people are crossing over, but I think it's giving more people, uh, an opportunity to, to play in both worlds and not be defined by just one thing. And even in triathlon, like not be defined by Iron Man. Like there's just so much more out there. And I think both you and Heather uh, exemplify that. And I, I think you guys uh, need to keep getting your voice out there and, and putting these experiences into people's, into th- their awareness. Yeah, we love it. I mean, we were kind of connecting over that saying how like, you know, she's obviously had mad success in the Iron Man and Kona and, but to reinvent herself in a way and to kind of strip that away from her and then just be Heather Jackson in ultra running who like we kind of all don't really know and is just blowing our minds every now and then with her racing. And it's just, you know, it's such a beautiful way that like she was saying, she's just total student of the sport, you know, learning the hard way. She, she races like she races Iron Man. She goes hard from the gun and sometimes you, you pay the price for that. And, um, yeah, I think that it's really cool. And I feel super honored to even be put in the same sentence as Heather. So <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Let's, uh, wrap this podcast up with, um, tell us about a moment at UTMB specifically with like, nature, the scenery, uh, a moment that is imprinted on your mind? Oh, this is easy. I mean, the UTMB was run when there was the blue moon, like the super moon. And I I don't run at night often. Um, it's definitely not something I do. I don't really use a head torch all that often. And so I was quite nervous about the night. And especially once you kind of get about 40 Ks out of town, it's probably at like 10 p.m., um, it really starts, the field starts to spread out. And so I was all alone and I was kind of on this like balcony trail that traverses alongside the mountains. And the, I didn't even need my head torch because the moon was so bright and it was reflecting on the glacier next to me. And it just, the whole snow and glacier was just like illuminating the side of the mountain and I actually turned my head torch off because I was like am I hallucinating this like it's just real bright like is there you know it was just it didn't make sense and it was just the most incredible thing for about probably about 15 minutes I was able to run along this trail um lit up by the moon itself and I was just like this is pretty rad I'm out here it's 10 p.m I'm in the UTMB. I've got a blue moon over me. I've got Mont Blanc shining next to me. Like it was just the most incredible uh, way to kind of enter the night. And it made me feel calm, confident, and just excited about what was coming up. (laughs) Your gratitude meter, how high is it right now in life? (laughs) (laughs) Through the roof. (laughs) 
That's awesome. Well, we we uh, we're gonna follow you so closely in Kona. Um, super fired up for you. It's such an experience to have. It's it's something. If you want to put it in perspective, it took me uh, eighteen years to to finally get to be on the island, and and I I soaked up every uh, ounce of it, and it really just filled me up. Um, I'm so happy that you're going to be there and to experience this, and we wish you all the best. Um, take it moment to moment, enjoy it, um, love it up, and um, get to that run. Yeah, thank you. Amazing. I, I, that's insane that it took you, like, congratulations on committing <laughs> to a goal like that. Like, that's insane. <laughs> I know. Yeah, thank you. Yes, it, it, was a, it was a long time coming. <laughs>